Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Renaissance. If we haven't met yet, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I'm going to lead our time of Bible study. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be reading out of John chapter 13. John chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's probably a hardback black Bible underneath the seat close to you. You're welcome to use that Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take that Bible home with you. We would love to give that to you. You're also... Um, able to pull up the Bible on your phone. Maybe you have the Bible app on your phone. You can follow along there. But if you don't want to do any of those things, if you want the lightest lifting load today, just I'll put the words on the screen behind me and you guys can just follow along there. But we're finishing up our three-week series that we do at the front part of every year here at Renaissance. We talk about our core values. And a couple weeks ago, we started with this premise in mind, that the things that we do in life are determined by the things that we value. And I think you would agree with that statement if you were to think about it, that the things that we do in our lives, the, the motivating engine, if you will, of our lives are the things that we value. So, for example, if you uh, value saving money, right, having some money, then what, the things that you'll do, you won't go out to eat to B-dubs three times a week, right? Or you, you won't go out to eat, right? Or, gosh, I don't know, maybe it's cheaper than buying groceries these days. I have no idea. But the things that you value are driven but rather, things that you do are driven by the things that you value, is what I'm trying to say. So, so the, these last three weeks, we've been talking about the things at the church that are valuable to us and drive what we do. And the first week, we talked about our first core value, which is this. It's because of Jesus. We believe this, that our lives are directed towards and driven by Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are praying it earlier that he is the Lord. Listen, that is not just a title that we give him or a name that we give him. It, it is a position of authority in our lives. He is the Lord of our lives and we are subservants to him. Paul the apostle used the word bondservant. Slave was it, but we is the idea, but we, we serve the Lord Jesus. And it's because of Jesus that we do the things that we do. And this church is an extension of that. I assure you, this church wouldn't exist if we did not believe that it was Jesus' good idea to have this church. And so we started this church some 12 years ago and a bunch of people started showing up and we've been doing it faithfully every week ever since. And every week we talk about Jesus. Every week we preach from the Bible and we try, we try to show that Jesus is the hero of scripture. And so that's the push in everything we do. Last week we did our second value, which is growing people change. And we believe that if a person has a genuine conversion experience, we would call this being born again, that if they're faithfully serving after Jesus, if they've been made new to use the language of the apostle Paul, that their life will begin to change. And so when you come to faith in Christ Jesus, some of the things that you used to do and used to desire to do and long to do slowly through the work of God in your life, those things will change away from you. And the things that you had no desire to do, i.e. going to church, worshiping, reading your Bible on a Tuesday night instead of going out for drinks, right? All those things you didn't want to do, now you have a proclivity to want to do. And so your life begins to change. And so we believe that growing people change right? And it's so helpful for us because 
when we look at our own lives and we make some mistakes, you know, TJ was even praying for that earlier this morning. Lord, we've, we've dropped the ball this last week. Lord, forgive us, you know, help us. And we can't be too hard on ourselves. Why? Because growing people change. You, you might've messed up last week, probably. Let's be frank, let's be honest, <laughs> right? Some of you this morning even, but that's okay because growing people are changing. And if you lean into the Lord, he'll draw you into newness of life. He'll draw you into abundance of life. And secondarily, and my favorite one is this, is because growing people change is we do not want to be too hard on other people. Right? We walk with a, a level and an extension of grace here at Renaissance that is um, it's gross, to be honest with you. <laughs> like it's so, we, we have grace for so many people. So many people in this church can offend you. But we believe that growing people change and that they, they, they maybe just had a bad day. Or so they're going through something. We don't know. We have no idea what's going on in their life, but they maybe offended you, whatever. But we're going to offer grace and compassion towards them. Why? Because we know God has got them on a journey as well. And so we operate with grace here in the church. Say amen to that. I'll move on. Yes, we do. Please say yes, we do. Grace for ourselves and grace for others. And then the last value is the one we're going to talk about today, which is loving people serve. Loving people serve. Francis Schaeffer said this. He says, love is the ultimate mark of a Christian. God's people, we would say, are marked by people who love others. And we show that love to one another by looking at Jesus. We look to Jesus as our example. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 gives us a snapshot of what this looks like. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. We'll talk a little more about this, but this is the final hours of Jesus' life. In a few hours, he'll be arrested, crucified, and buried in a grave. And with his disciples in those last few moments, he speaks about some important things to them. And he says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Verse 35, he says, and by this, all the people will know that what? That you're my disciples. And how will they know? Because you have love for one another. What he's saying is like, they'll know you belong to me if you love one another. Now, quick distinction here. The Lord has called the church to love the people of the world. Yes, that we love everyone in the world. We're called to love people. But know this, Jesus specifically here is talking about loving other believers. He's talking about the church. He's talking from one disciple to another. You, got to, you have to love each other. And the world will look at the love that we have for each other and they'll go, oh my gosh, he must be one of those Jesus people. And so we, we first experiment and experience the love that, that we have for one another in the lab, right? In the lab that is the church. Before we go out into the world to express love to them, we practice it here, right? Which would mean if we can't do it here, oh my goodness, we can't do it out there. But Jesus gives us this command, back to verse 34. I give this command to you to love one another. And I love that he doesn't leave it open-ended it's not like at, the, at that point the disciples could, then, disciples could then ask, well, how do you want us to love Jesus? Because he answers that, that inferred question in the next sentence. He says, just as I have loved you. So how do we love each other? We love each other the way Christ loved the disciples. And when we read the, the gospels, the biographies of Jesus' life, and we see how he loved them, one of the things that sticks out to us more than anything else is how he served. 
his disciples, which seems so backwards to us. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. So Jesus says, just as I have loved you by serving you, I want you to serve other people. So we see an example and an encouragement in this, that Jesus is showing them the way and also lovingly encouraging them to do so. We call it in the church being voluntold to do something, right? You haven't been volunteered, you've been voluntold. This is Jesus saying, do this, wink, wink, I love you, good luck. And so I wanna read a large portion out of John chapter 13, starting here in verse one, and we'll read one through 17. And you can follow along with the words behind me. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and go to the father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, during this feast, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God. And he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Say it with me now, gross. Just saying, <laughs> whatever, we'll talk about that. Verse six, so he comes to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Like, what are you doing? And Jesus answered, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And so Peter said to him, well, then you shall, said rather, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, if I do not wash you, Peter, you have no share with me. And so Simon Peter said to him, well, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but, it, but is completely clean. You, Peter, are clean, but not every one of you. Hmm. And this is interesting. Verse 11, it says, for he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean, speaking of Judas. So when he had washed their feet and he put on his outer garments and he resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? And you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done. And truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Whew. <laughs> so let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you. Thank you for the example. Thank you for the encouragement to do so. Uh, we need eyes to see the importance of this. We need ears to understand how this can affect our lives. That serving in whatever grand purpose you have for us is a tool that you use to shape us and to hone us into the people you want us to become. It is a, it is a uh, smack in the face of our own self-worth and our own self-identity, when we humble ourselves before others to serve them, it smacks us against our narcissism and stuff. And Lord, we need to be awakened from our, our self-identity, that our identity rather is wrapped up in you, Lord. And so help us to understand this. This will shape us, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. So John is writing this biography of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the fourth gospel to have been written. And it was written by one of Jesus' disciples. John was 
probably the youngest disciple, most scholars agree with this, that John was probably a teenager when he was following Jesus. Peter had already been married. Some of the other disciples married, had businesses in his net, but John was a young man when he follows Jesus. And we know that Jesus was very close to John because John calls himself the beloved. Jesus would oftentimes call John the beloved, the one he loved. Some people even say that John might have been Jesus' best friend. If that's at all possible, it's quite possible it was John. And here's why. When we look at the crucifixion, when we look at Jesus on a cross, his mother Mary was there and John was there. All of the other disciples had abandoned him. You guys know famously that Peter denied him three times. The other disciples disappeared. Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, all this now. But John was left and Mary was left at the cross. And Jesus Jesus looks down from the cross and tells John, behold your mother, and points to Mary. Well, I guess he can't point. That sounded weird. But you know what I'm saying. Sorry. That's not supposed to be funny, but it was. Anyways, but he, but then, sorry. And then he, then he says to, to Mary, behold your son. Almost to say, John, I need you to take care of my mom when I'm gone. And he's going to need someone to care for him. So you need to, so you see the closeness that John had uh, with Jesus. It was at this last supper that we see that that John was most likely seated next to Jesus, or he would lay his head upon the breast or the chest of Jesus to be close to him. And when Jesus was, during, was experiencing these last few hours on earth, he was with John and he speaks to him. We know that tradition tells us this, that John lived long, a long and fruitful life, probably well into his 90s. He was still pastoring a church in Turkey at the time. And he was so old that he couldn't walk to church on Sunday. So the disciples would carry him to church where he would be accustomed to say these words, little children love one another, little children love one another. John's life was marked by these final words of Jesus in that upper room. His, his gospel is one of the last to have been written. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke we call synoptic gospels, which just means this. They come at Jesus' life from the same vantage point, sin, meaning same synonym, and, and optic, like viewpoint. So synoptic just means the same viewpoint. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all teaching about Jesus' life kind of from the same vantage point. But John seems to fill in the gaps. He seems to tell us things that the other gospel writers don't tell us. And we see some of that stuff here in this passage. Jesus shows his disciples that loving others serve one another. He gives them the example of it, he explains it, and he encourages them to do so. Jesus' life was marked by these last words of Jesus. And my heart for us is that we would be marked by it too, that we would learn to love one another. So let's look at how Jesus exemplifies love, or how does he give us the example of love? In verse three, it says this, that Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hand and they had come from God and he was going back to God. So he knows that his time is coming to a close. Jesus knows within a few hours, he's going to be arrested. He's, everything is gonna take place. We know how the story goes, right? But Jesus has this understanding now and, he's, and he takes these last few moments that he has with his disciples to give them this message. Luke's gospel tells us another thing, that right before Jesus celebrates this Passover meal with them, that the disciples were arguing amongst themselves, who's going to be the greatest? Like, Jesus, when you establish your kingdom and everything is set up, who's going to be at your right hand? Because you know, every king needs a hand. Everyone needs someone to be their assistant. Which one of us is going to be that assistant, so to speak? And they were arguing, arguing amongst themselves which one is going to be the greatest. And it's in the midst of this argument, Jesus pushes his resume across the table. And by resume, I mean this. A broken loaf of bread and a half-drank cup of wine. 
He says, I'm the savior. I'm ushering in a new covenant before you. No longer are you going to be required to serve the Lord, to earn your way, to have relationship with God. But I'm going to establish that relationship by my broken body, the bread broken, and my blood poured out, the cup drank. And he pushes that resume across the, ta across the table and then he stands up and he girds himself with a towel and he begins to wash their feet. Verse six says he began to wash the disciples' feet. Which disciples did he wash? All of them. Why is that significant to us? Because if you were paying attention earlier, Judas is in the room too. And Jesus even went to wash Judas' feet. By all accounts, Judas was an enemy of Jesus. And yet Jesus still showed compassion and love towards him. If for whatever reason you've got it into your craw that you think you only have to love people who are lovable, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. It's not true. Jesus doesn't even give us that example. We are called to love people that we don't like very much. And did I mention that we're supposed to love the church first? I'll be honest with you, not everybody in the church is likable. Look up and down your row. I mean, stand where I'm standing. You're like, ease, <laughs> right? But it doesn't matter. I suspect no one's had a, um, somebody do to them what Judas did to Jesus by selling him out for 30 pieces of silver, a couple hundred bucks. We've experienced some bad things, but probably never that, never that. And yet Jesus still showed the example of love. So he gave us the example of what it looks like. And then he also explains why we do this. It says verse six, that Jesus goes to Peter first. It, 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 the appearance is he goes to Peter first. You know, Peter, he's the outspoken one. Peter always gets it right the second time, <laughs> right? That's what I, I heard that recently. I'm like, that's just like me. I always get it right the second time. That's Peter. He goes to Peter and he starts to wash his feet and Peter responds, Lord, do you wash my feet? Why are you doing this? In verse eight, he says, but you shall never wash my feet. Peter is so humble, oh my gosh, he's so humble that he refuses to allow the Lord to wash his feet. He, he refuses to allow the Lord to serve him. Here's the turn, but he's not so humble to tell the Lord what he can't do. We do that in our lives sometimes, don't we? Like, Lord, yep, you're the Lord of my life. I will serve you and I will follow you all the days of my life. I will do whatever you ask, except go into the mission field. I'll do everything you want me except love those people because they have no care for you. I'll do everything you ask me, but I will not take a pay cut to start a church. I will not, right? Do you ever stand in this place where like you, you want to serve the Lord and yet you draw a line? I'll do everything but. And I'll just hang here for a moment because I can see your, the gears in your mind turning and the Lord ain't done talking to you yet. What are the things that you've told the Lord you won't do? It's not unlike Peter with Jesus coming to him saying, I want to serve you and I'm, I'm doing something symbolic. This act is gonna mean something in a few days. I know you don't get it now, but Peter says, uh-uh. How many times have we said, uh-uh, to the Lord? And then my favorite thing is then hope he forgets it. Right? Like when you were a kid and you wouldn't do something like the dishes that your parents asked and you just assumed they would forget, right? But God is a person who never forgets, right? And so God doesn't, the things he calls us into and asks us to do, he doesn't forget them. 
which also is an encouragement to us, which means we get an opportunity to say yes at some point. If you ever said no to the Lord, I believe he's a faithful God and he will bring an opportunity back and you'll get to say yes again. I could give you countless stories of my own life where that has happened, where I've said no out loud to the Lord. I remember fighting with the Lord one night. I said no. And um, two years later, when he asked me to do the same thing, I, I agreed. So he'll give you a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, whatever. But he explains what this love looks like. He says, I'm going to wash you. I'm going to clean you. He says, verse eight, if I do not wash you, then you have no share with me. Jesus is emphasizing this symbolic act with the disciple and some significance here. And so I think Peter finally understands it. In verse nine, he says, well, then don't just wash my feet only, but wash my head and wash my hands. So Peter, at this point, is ready to take the plunge. Let's go. He wants everything to be washed. And don't miss this practical theology that, that John is teaching us, that there's no place in the body of Christ for those who have not been cleansed by him. That we all must be cleansed by Jesus Christ. This is what we were discussing earlier with the children getting dedicated. That their relationship with the Lord is rooted in the work that he's done for them. No, we used to say this all the time in the church, but that God has no grandchildren, right? He has children. And each person makes a decision to follow Christ or not. And what he's saying is every person must be washed by Jesus or not. There is, it's binary. It's, it's zeros or ones, right? It's yes or it's no. There's nothing in between. There is no other way to have a relationship with the Lord outside of Jesus Christ. And he is the example for us. That he has settled something on, in the throne room of God on our behalf so that we have right standing with him now. What he's done on the cross has done something that we could not do on our own. And yet we've tried to do so on our own. All of us would raise our hands if we were asked, how many times have you promised God you'll change? How many times have you promised you'll do better? How many times have you promised do this and that you fall short? And yet Jesus didn't fall short. Jesus went fully to the cross, died an atoning death for all of us, gave his life willingly on the cross that those who would believe in him would have eternal life. And not just eternal life in the her thereafter or the hereafter, but abundant life even now. If you're looking for something richer in your life, look no further than Jesus. He is standing before some of you right now asking if he can wash you. And you're saying, I'm good. I've got this. I'll do it. I know how to do this. I've done this before, Jesus. I've got this. Anyone? Unless I wash you, Peter, you have no share with me. Unless I wash you, Jeff, you have no share with me. So he says, all right, wash me all. That, that's a good response. Verse 15, Jesus says, I've given you an example. What he just did with the foot washing there has been an example for them. I've given you an example and you should do just as I have done to you. Now, some traditions in the church take this foot washing example literally and have foot washing ceremonies. Uh, if, you've, if you are part of a church tradition has done that, typically during Holy Week or the week leading up to Easter, 
A lot of churches will have a Good Friday service where they sort of look at the, the crucifixion story of Jesus, we call it Good Friday, when he was crucified, buried in a grave. And then on Easter Sunday, we have the resurrection story. Yay, confetti, the whole thing. It's a big party, right? Easter Sunday. But on Thursday of that Holy Week, a lot of churches will have what they call Monday Thursday meetings where they will get together and they will wash one another's feet. Now, I know it's not Thursday, but if I could have the ushers bring forth the uh, foot basins, if you guys could just start loosening up your, like for real, um, I'm joking, of course, but I've actually had my feet washed by someone before. Okay, I've had my feet washed more than once. I'm just going to throw that out there. Like, I wash them myself all the time. But I mean, I, I actually had a person come to me once into church and said, Jeff, I've been harboring some very strong feelings against you for some reason. And I did not know this. I didn't know this person very well. But for whatever reason, he got it in his mind that I was not a good person and whatever. And he just had hard feelings against me. And he said, the Lord is asking me to wash your feet. And I said, the Lord ain't telling me that. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, he might be talking to you, bro, but I ain't picking up what he's putting down. <laughs> right? That's what I feel. That's what I, on the inside, I'm like, no. I'm thinking about the shoe choice for the day. And I'm like, all kinds of stuff. You can take my shoes off, but it's going to get gnarly real fast. I'm just saying. <laughs> and um, legit, before I could say, like, yes or no, he, he brought a basin of water in and a chair and sat me down. Like, I'm almost tearing up as I retell the story. And it was such a, a humble act. And I don't mean for him. I mean, what he was doing was for sure humble. But I mean for me to just let that person do something for me that he thought the Lord was leading me to. I'm telling you, that's the release that many of us have to have when it comes to, to Jesus in our lives. We have to let him do this. We can't do it on our own. And I know you know, because you've tried. And Jesus is freeing you from that idea right now, even now that he wants to serve you in that regard. And he tells us, as he finishes here, that, that I want you to go forth and do this too. Is he telling the disciples to wash each other's feet? Maybe, possibly. In their culture, they got it. It was the lowliest of servants who washed the people's feet. When you came in to the house, much like we take off our shoes at the front door, they would have a servant typically meet you at the front door to wash your feet, to get the, the road dust off of you, the, the animal dung off of your toes, right? They would just clean you up just a little bit. Just like, I guess, we take off our shoes when we come in the house. But he's giving them that example that it's a servant that does this. And that's the affront that they couldn't take. They couldn't get over the fact that Jesus was serving them because he was their master. He was their rabbi. He was their teacher. He's the one we call Lord. And that is the story that he serves us by washing us clean. Amen? Amen. So I want to pray. The band's going to come back out and we'll do another song of worship. And I encourage you to just use that time to surrender to the Lord. And I also want to encourage you to consider serving one another in the church here. I mentioned last week or two weeks ago, on any given Sunday, you know, we might have 70 to 80 children go through our children's ministry. We have many more women who are pregnant having more babies. We have new families coming every week. The, the children's ministry is growing. If you have any desire to serve your church and don't know where, let me plug you into kids. 
maybe you're a musician. You come here, you play like Joe Walsh. I don't know, anybody play like Joe Walsh in here? Hans, are you awake? Hans, Hans? Anybody play guitar like Joe Walsh besides Hans? No, that's what I'm saying. But listen, how can you serve the church? Maybe you, you join the band, you, serve, you lead us in worship. And, and maybe you just have a deep-seated desire to pray for one another. Like it's the strangest like gift that God's given you, but you have, you can pray for hours hours, like when mo most people are binging like Netflix shows, but you're, you're just praying for people and time just ticks away. Maybe you could serve on our prayer team. Every week we have hosts back there praying for people who are getting cancer diagnoses, people who are losing family members. We had a couple of losses even this week that we've been praying for the families of people who have had a loss this week. Maybe you want to serve in the cafe. Maybe you can make a great latte. I don't know. I'm just telling you, the Lord has set up this tool of serving one another as a way to hone us into the people he wants us to be. Hear me, hear the love in my voice. If you're just attending church, okay, you're limiting some of the things that God wants to do in your life. It's just true. It's just true. He tells his disciples in the final hours of his life, love one another. Well, how do we do that, Jesus? You serve them. You serve them. So join with us um, out in the gallery. There are ministry team cards. Just give us your name, a phone number, an email, something, and say, I'd like to serve. Maybe check one of these boxes. I don't know. Maybe not. Just say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what God's asking me to do. We'll pray with you. Serve your church, serve your brothers and sisters here and watch uh, the Lord grow you. I'm so excited to see the people that you will become. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time. Again, we couldn't do it without you, nor would we want to. We say that you're Lord of our lives. We mean it, Lord. You have the con. You have the, the steering wheel. You have the control. You have the right to tell us what we can and cannot do, Lord. And so we submit ourselves to your way. Lord, as we stand to sing these songs, this last song, one more time, God, would you give us the wind, like a voice to actually declare these things to be truthful. That we wanna be in the place where you are. We wanna be wherever we stop and, and, and look around, we find you with us. We don't wanna go anywhere without you, Lord. So help us to be people who are serving one another and following after you. God, we ask that you bless our time together. We thank you for the people you've, you brought in here. God, we lift up those families who dedicated their children and the grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles that came, Lord, would you bless them? We're so thankful that they've come and visited. God, we love them. God, we, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 